In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. What if, with the right mindset, anything is possible? Join us now and find out how. It's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka is here to inspire you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, Marla is here to inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power with the Million Dollar Mindset. Today, she'll share heartwarming stories, teach you tips and tricks to building a successful business, plus how to unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset. And now, here's your host, Marla Tabaka. And hey, hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed a lovely weekend just as I did. You know, I'm here in Chicago, and it is a beautiful onset for fall. And if you live in a state that enjoys the four seasons, you've probably seen the trees begin to change colors, and the pumpkins are everywhere now around here. And these are both magnificent signs of fall. I just love fall, don't you? You know, but those Big orange globes that become jack-o'-lanterns and pumpkin pies have another meaning altogether for today's guest. Mike Michalowicz launched three multi-million dollar companies, get this, all before his 35th birthday. Okay, now he's already sold two of those companies, one of them to a Fortune 500 company and the other to private investors, and he's currently the CEO of Provendus Group, which is his third company. If that isn't enough for you, Mike was awarded the SBA's Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award when he was just 26 years old. And, yep, the list goes on, and he's authored the Entrepreneur's Cult Classic book. You've probably heard of it, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, and most recently, a really cool book that I'm I'm really enjoying called The Pumpkin Plan. It's it's a good read, so make sure and check that out, The Pumpkin Plan, and that's what we're here to talk about today. I'm really excited to have Mike here on the show because he's going to tell us how we can apply, apply the same principles, the same simple methods that pumpkin farmers use to grow those, you know, those colossal, giant, prize-winning pumpkins that you see in the on the news every year, and we can use those same principles to grow a colossally successful business. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Mike Michalowicz, thanks so much for being on the Million Dollar Mindset today. Oh, well, thank you, and thanks for that great intro. When I heard pumpkins, my ears got all perked up and everything. (laughs) I bet they do. They're your thing right now, huh? Oh, Oh, totally. They're all over New Jersey, too. Oh, good. Oh, they're so pretty, aren't they? They just, you can't help but just smile when you see pumpkins everywhere, right? So true, so true. Uh, I have to tell you, our, our mutual friend Donna Lyons introduced us virtually, and uh, you were kind enough to send me an autographed copy of your books, which is way so cool. Um, and I'm really enjoying the pumpkin plan. I love your writing style. I love the way you just. You know, you lay it all out there. You say it like it is. <laughs> yeah. And it's just so much fun to read. So thank you for that. 
that. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thanks for saying that. My style isn't necessarily everyone's cup of tea because it's not always the most highbrow uh, read, but um, no, I just love you saying that, so thank you. Oh, absolutely. I've already recommended it to so many of my clients, so it's going to be fun, you know, discussing. And, you know, it, it, you were just, what, 24 when you started your, your first business, right? 24? Yeah, 24 years old. I, you know, how I got started was I was uh, I left college. I couldn't get the job I wanted, which would have been with the, like an Ernst & Young or whoever. And I was working at a computer store. Which, which, just to give you the visual, I was that greasy, pimply kid that you would come in and, uh, and ask for whatever computer it was, and I was trying to push like a dot matrix printer on you for my $5 of commission. Oh, you know? lovely portrait. <laughs> yeah, oh, it was horrible. And uh, after graduating college and doing that for a couple of years, I was like, you know what, I, I got to get out of this. There's no way this is going to define my life. And I unexpectedly stumbled into entrepreneurship and fell in love with it. Well, I can imagine at the age of 24, you probably made your share of mistakes. All entrepreneurs do, but that's a very young age to start a company. Uh, you know, what? tell us a little bit about some of the most memorable mistakes or failures or however you want to phrase them were for you and how you devised a strategy to change course and build these hugely successful companies that you have. Yeah, so so the big mistake, I guess, was just raw ignorance. Uh, when when I started, I really, Marla, I really, really believed I would be a millionaire like that week or that month. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I believed it. I mean, pure ignorance. And I, I, there were so many people I've met in my life that had the big houses or you know the yacht or whatever it was. And I asked them, well, what did you do? And they were either the president of the company or the founder of the company. That was the two. And most times they were both the president and founder. You know, and there was no, you know, men, women, all ages, all nationalities. There was always, you know, president or founder of a business. So I was like, wow, if, if you're an entrepreneur, that means you are a millionaire. So this is easy. And what I did was, because I was in the computer store business, I said, one, one night I went out, um, and this actually kicked it off, I I went out for drinks because I was so frustrated working where I was working. I had some drinks, and, and liquid courage kicked over, and I said, screw this. I'm, you know, I'm quitting the computer store, and I'm going to start my own computer business, fixing and repairing computers. And uh, I left a, a drunken, sl- slurring message for my then boss. Oh, no, you did on. not. Yeah, totally, like a total jerk. I was, uh, yeah, like, like oh. nasty. I'm like, you know, working for you, I do all this stuff. I'm a slave to you. I'm going to leave. And, you know, <laughs> another mistake I made, which I encouraged someone never to do, is I, I told him, I said, I'm going to start a competing business and destroy you, which, you know, what a jerk I was. Um, and so surprisingly, uh, when I sobered up the next morning uh, and asked for my job back uh, that I just quit from, he said, no, you, you're on your own, kid. Good luck. Uh, and so the interesting thing, the first component to success, as crazy as it sounds, is fear. So there's that initial exuberance, hopefully not alcohol-induced, but there, there's that initial exuberance saying, wow, I'm going to start this business. And then you finally get to the cliff moment, and, you know, those drinks pushed me over. But for, for some people, we, you know, we take the leap. Many people back down and say, oh, I can't start a business now and, and keep using 
logic and reasons not to do it. But once you take the jump off the cliff, you're in a free fall, and it is, it is terrifying. Mm-hmm. So, so ironically, one of the most important drivers of success in the early stages is fear. So when I started my business, I was so scared. I jumped off that cliff. I was flapping my arms as hard as possible to try to catch some, some wind. Uh, and you can't, you know, but you keep flapping because you're so terrified. Well, yeah. the benefit of fear I have found, and it's, I found it in every business, every entrepreneur I've talked to, fear has actually been a great asset because fear gets you up at 5 o'clock in the morning and keeps you awake till 12 o'clock at night, and you need that initially. The, yeah. problem, the problem, though, with fear is that if that becomes sustained, it gets converted into stress, stress starts killing us, anxiety, and if, you know, it, it, can, it can actually literally kill us. Um, so fear is a great motivator in the beginning to get you going, but that fear ner- needs to turn into confidence in belief and predictability, and that's what the basis of the business needs to come to to really grow explosively. There needs to be some level of, okay, you know what, I'm, I know I'm going to make another $1,000 next week because I can see it coming, and, and, and then you start building this confidence, and that's when a business can start growing explosively. Mm. And yet so many business owners, in my experience as a, as a business coach, live in that fear, stress, and anxiety mode for years and years and years. Um, it, you know, some suffer for the duration of their entrepreneurial life, right? What, what, are, what are they missing? <laughs> Yeah, so they're missing systems. So what happens with fear is fear puts you in a mode of do what you think can immediately benefit you. Um, It's kind of like putting out a fire. It's like where's the next fire and you run to it. But it doesn't form any method of repeatability. Fear-driven entrepreneurs woke up this morning and said, oh, my God, I don't have enough money in the bank account. I got to sell someone something. And it's an aimless effort, but it works sometimes. I mean, you keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting, you're going to hit something, so some revenue comes in. But the entrepreneur never starts building a capability or a strength in doing one thing repeatedly over and over. That's, you know, the, the McDonald's system. McDonald's has mastered making, albeit a crappy hamburger, they can make the same hamburger every single time with absolute consistency. You know, there's a million people that can make hamburgers, but McDonald's has figured out the system to making hamburgers and therefore can grow it. Most of us entrepreneurs, it's in a panic. I'm starving. I got to make a hamburger. We run, we make a hamburger, and I got to do this. And we're jumping around spot to spot. We don't look for that repeatability. And it, it, it's the hardest lesson to teach. I mean, it's very easy to understand, you know, make something repeatable. But to actually get people to do it, it is near impossible. I, I spend sometimes countless hours with people just trying to persuade them just do something so it becomes cookie cutter, that you can repeat it over and over again. And there's always reasons not to do it, but the few people that I can convince and actually do it, the businesses start to grow and start to grow explosively. It's a tough thing to convince people to do, and in your book came a number of things that um, you know, are tough to convince a fearful entrepreneurs to do. 
And we're going to go into break in about a minute, and when we come back, I'm going to talk about some things. But I really like to talk about, Mike, how, you know, the, the day that you discovered, as you put it, holy crap, pumpkin farmers hold the secret formula for big entrepreneurial success. Um, you say, my get out of jail card. Holy grail. I love it. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk about that day because I'm sure you remember it quite clearly. And, <laughs> I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure. And everything for being here this week. Again, please feel free to reach out to me at Marla at Marla Tabaka, T-A-B-A-K-E.com. And please go on over and visit me on Inc. I love writing for Inc. Magazine, and I hope that you'll enjoy those articles as well. And that's over at com slash author slash Marla hyphen tobacco, Inc.com. And just look for Marla Tabaka. We'll be back in just a moment. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Thursday nights, get ready for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette, at 11, 10 central on toginet.com. What are the Read My Lips Tips for Success? Well, it's spelled out like this. R. Realize it is possible. E. Embrace all relationships. A. Advance through adversity. D. Develop your significance. M. Manage your health and wealth. Y. Yield to your natural abilities. L. Listen to your heart. I. Invest in yourself. P. Persist by taking small steps. And S. Serve others. Each week on the show, you'll find a safe haven whereby tips, insights, and strategies are shared by Linnea and her guests. Go to Linnea's website, readmylipstips.com. Then join us Thursday nights at 11, 10 p.m. Central for the Read My Lips Tips for Success radio show with your host, Linnea Millette on toginet.com. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marla Tabaka. 
And I'm so glad that you're listening today because we have so much to learn from today's guests. You know, each and every year, Americans start one million new businesses, and nearly 80% of those fail within the first five years. But our guest, Mike Michalowicz, has a system that you two can put in place, just like pumpkin farmers across the nation do, so that you don't fall into those statistics. Mike, one day you just realized, wow, these pumpkin farmers, they got it all happening. Tell us about (laughs) that day. (laughs) I did. So it was during my first company. uh, I had grown it, and, and we were, you know, we were doing maybe Six to seven hundred thousand in revenue at this point, which which I thought was huge, you know. And when I when I envisioned the company making six hundred to seven hundred thousand, to me that meant the entrepreneurs making that much. But I was um, it was all fear driven, um, and I had employees and stuff, and I wasn't making squat. I was making zero dollars. I was actually still spending from my savings to keep the business running. Um, and I hired my first business coach, and he said. Uh, you, after investigating my business, said you need to make a change. And he goes, it's, it's ultimately a 5% change, meaning 95% of the stuff you're doing is right, but we have to change 5% of your behaviors, generally you know, building systems. And, and then he started teaching me these things. And it was overwhelming. And this is when the pumpkin moment happened. I, I went home one night after a grueling day at work uh, thinking about what my business coach had been teaching me about this 5% change I need to make. And I was reading the local town paper, and on the back of the paper was this picture of this pumpkin farmer with this like, huge pumpkin. It was like the size of a car. His arm was stretched out up, you know, reaching up in the air to put his hand on top of the pumpkin. It had reached almost uh, like a half a ton. It was like a 1,000-pound pumpkin. And in there, the interviewer, the journalist, asked the pumpkin farmer, they said, all, there's all these ordinary pumpkin farmers out there. What do you do? to make an, you know, this colossal pumpkin. And the farmer responded with the magic words. He said, I only do 5% of my stuff differently. And I was like, aha. And, and that, to me, was the moment it clicked. What clicked was most businesses are ordinary pumpkins, if you will. But this 5% change, a natural organism like a pumpkin will respond with explosive growth. And businesses are natural, made of people. If we make these 5% changes... The business will respond with explosive growth. So I spent the next uh, about a year studying, maybe a little bit more than a year, studying pumpkin farmers, but not any pumpkin farmer, the colossal pumpkin farmers. They call themselves the lords of the gourds. Ooh. And I, I, yeah, I started crazy, studying. Mike. <laughs> yeah. I started studying these men and women to see what they were doing. And I found there was a group of things that if it was changed simply, the pumpkin responded with explosive growth. I then paralleled it to successful businesses and found it was the exact same thing. I applied it to my business, my first business, started taking off, and I sold it to private equity. My second company, from day one, I, I started doing it, and it took two and a half years from when we started it. I started with a partner. Uh, we sold it to Robert Half International, who's a, uh, it's a Fortune 500 company. So that was how I discovered it. Wow, what a fun story. And what a great, you know, to draw these analogies from life. I mean, that's a, that's definitely a skill to see these parallels. And uh, this one, it sounds like it really hopped out at you. And uh, you, you studied it for a year. Wow. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and they're, they're a wacky lot, I'll tell you. Uh, 
they, they do some amazingly simple but different things. Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah it's cool. Cool people. Yeah. So so talk to us about the, some of those things and, and how they relate to business. There's some, some tough things in here that entrepreneurs need to do. Let's cover a few of those. Yeah, yeah. So the first thing, and this really, I don't know, this, this set the whole foundation for me, was what uh, what's called seed selection. An ordinary pumpkin farmer, when they pick seeds, they are in the quantity game, Marla. They, they, they want to buy the most seeds they can as cheap as possible because the ordinary farmer is about just you know, plant as much as you can over a big field and let's see what grows. More is better. But a colossal pumpkin farmer's approach is that better is better. They, instead of picking any seed, they're extremely, bizarrely selective of the seed they pick. They want to make sure it has what they call, they call it veinage, the proper veinage for, or that represents a very healthy plant. They want to look for its, its, uh, its match to their soil and the weather climate they have. They are highly selective. Well, in my study of, of successful entrepreneurs, I found that ordinary entrepreneurs go after the cheap, easy seed. You know, what is the, what's the hot trend now? What are customers talking about? You know, they are letting trends drive them. And if you looked back in recent history, 10 years ago, the trend was real estate. You know, everyone was jumping into real estate. I, I, there were people in the computer business saying, you know, I'm going to buy a commercial building. Uh, I'm going to make more money doing that than computers. And, and now you're like a fool to be in real estate, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Uh, five years ago, flash animation and websites and so forth, all these graphics and motion that changed on websites constantly, and everyone was a flash animator, went away. Today it's social media. You know, everyone and their mother is a social media specialist. Now, there's a few people that that represents their true passion and interest, but there's tons of people have gone into it because it's a trend. So the colossal pumpkin, I'm sorry, the colossal entrepreneur, similar to the colossal pumpkin farmer, is highly selective of their seed. And what I found is it's basically three overlapping elements. First of all, what is their passion and uniqueness? Meaning successful entrepreneurs do something that gives them automatic drive. They don't need fear driving them anymore. They're doing something because it pulls them along. Passion, is, by the way, is not a hobby. I play guitar, for example. I play it relatively okay. But it's not a passion, meaning I can play guitar for an hour and then I'm done. I could play it for a couple hours, and then I'm done. I get tired of it. Uh, if, God forbid I sing. People actually run from me. So, <laughs> so, but entrepreneurship, like what we're talking about now, I'm literally standing up from my desk to, to talk because I love this. Passion, yeah. passion is something that at the end of the day, Marla, when, you, when your head hits the pillow, your body may be exhausted, but your mind is stimulated. It's on fire. That's a field of passion. So I found that entrepreneurs are in a field of passion, and they exploit their uniqueness. I'm, I'm a little bit quirky. I, I'm a little unique. I totally get it. I, I leverage that. I don't hide it and try to match into what people expect of me. I match into what I expect of myself. So that's part of the seed, but that alone is not it. You know, There's people that are very passionate about things that no customers want, and, well, then there's no business. Yeah, and it so, fails, right? It fails. Yeah. It fails. And I've seen people do that. So the second part of the colossal business seed is to pick something where there is customer demand. And customer demand is whatever you do, do customers buy it, and do they come back and buy it again? If it's a one-time sale, 
Um, and some businesses are forced into it, but in many t- cases, a one-time sale means you may have persuaded the customer, but they haven't bought into really wanting it. If a customer buys from you repeatedly, by their actions, they're showing you that they love what you're offering. So can you or do you have repeating customers is always a big indicator. Now, the only anomaly is there's some businesses uh, that it's a one-time sale, like coffins. Uh, you, you, know, you sell a person a coffin, they probably won't buy a second one from you. Um, but for most businesses, you have to look for repeatability. No matter what, whatever your passion is, you have to have an overlap of customer, customer demand. The problem here, though, and this is the trap that some entrepreneurs fall into with their seed. They do what they love. There's customers buying it. They're still trapped because they are stuck in doing it. So the third overlapping circle, almost like the Olympic symbol, right in the center uh, of these three overlapping, I'm sorry, the, the third circle that comes in that causes that center seed, if you will, is what I call systemization, meaning can you do the work without you participating? Before you ever wake up, while you're sleeping in bed, can you land a prospect, convert that prospect to a customer, get that customer's, collect the income from the customer, uh, deliver the service or product to the customer, and have them raving about you, and then you wake up? If all that stuff can happen while you're sleeping, you've achieved systemization, ultimate systemization. Now the business can grow explosively to any level. So the perfect colossal seed for business is the overlap of those three circles. If you have that, you can take it the distance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the question that comes to me, you know, most immediately, of course, because I'm a coach where the business does rely solely on me, and I've worked with a lot of solopreneurs who are, you know, massage therapists, chiropractors, what have you. Do you have a magic formula for coming up with with concepts, ideas, ways of doing business that can help you to step into that entrepreneurial role where you're not doing everything? Yes. So the key is is this little rhyme. The riches are in the niches. I mean, the more you're focused on doing one thing for one set of people, um, the more you can systematize it and turn into a true entrepreneur. And someone that does the work, by the way, isn't an entrepreneur. We can use that label, but we're actually an employee to our company. We're doing the work. An entrepreneur is a person that runs it. But the problem we have when we start a business, and you have to do this in the beginning stages, is you don't necessarily know who your best customers are going to be, so you go out and service any customer. Well, the trap becomes that distinct customers need distinct things. Um, one customer may need um, a, a certain type of coaching service, and another one may need more consultative service. We're actually going in helping doing the work. Well, now you have to offer two different full sets of stuff. It's very difficult to do it. So we stay in this constant struggle. Ironically, if we service less customers and look to clone them, to get exact copies of them and deliver the exact same thing to them, then we can pull ourselves back build systems to teach other things and automate other people and and build things that automate the process and remove ourselves from ever doing it. The only way we can perfect a system, though, is by starting small. So what I like to do, and that's actually one of the steps in the pumpkin plan, is define your best customers and then replicate that best customer and replicate what you do for them. Mm, 
and that, that assessment piece comes next. We're going to go into another break here and uh, come back and talk about that because in order to define and reach out to those best customers, we have to figure out who they are, and you've got a wonderful assessment here in your book, The Pumpkin Plan. So you can find out more about the book and about Mike at one of his websites, pumpkinplan.com. He's got some fabulous resources on there, so please make sure and check it out. We'll be back in just a moment. Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Second chances. We all deserve them. And we are all worthy of them. Second chances. With your host, Midge Noble. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on Toginet is like coming home to warm, fresh-baked cookies, a hug from Grandma, or an enthusiastic greeting from your dog. Second Chances, hosted by Midge Noble, a licensed professional counselor, is affirming, warm, genuine, validating, and thought-provoking. Second Chances is a place to be heard, a place to laugh, a place to cry, and a place to be seen. For more on Midge and Second Chances, check out MidgeNobleSecondChances.com. Then be a part of a show that will change how you think, how you feel, and what you do. Give yourself the gift of second chances and see where it will take you. So take a deep breath, open your heart, open your mind, and join host Midge Noble for Second Chances. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marlon Tabaka. And we're here today with Mike Michalowicz, author of The Pumpkin Plan, having so much fun talking about that. And make sure to visit his website at pumpkinplan.com. So, Mike, going into break, we are talking about, you know, weeding out those top customers and really putting some systems into place so that uh, you can grow your company and not just be an employee. And that's, that's so true. That's that so many get into. You have a great assessment in the book on how to do that because, you know, sometimes people don't recognize their top clients because any paying top client is a top client to many, many uh, business owners. Talk to us about how we can really weed those clients out, if you will. 
Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting. I discovered this and learned this from pumpkin farmers, too. And they call it the sprout observation. And what the ordinary farmer does is any sprout he sees is fine. You know, just, hey, if it's growing, great, let's water it. The colossal pumpkin farmer, she approaches it a little differently. She looks for only the strongest sprouts. So instead of going after the ones that are weak and struggling to help them along, she ignores those because she knows that the strongest sprout has the potential to go the distance, to be the biggest. And this ties into what I found colossal entrepreneurs do, too. They identify the strongest, in this case, sprouts are clients, and look to build on them. The weak clients are actually, I wouldn't say ignored, but they're definitely pushed down the feeding chain. Some are even fired and removed. And here's the process to, to do it, Marla. You use what I call the, the magical uh, innovative thought or term of assessment, <laughs> the client assessment. I couldn't think of anything fancy, so I call it the client assessment. But you make a client assessment, and, and this is how you do it. You take all your existing clients for the last that you've served over the last 12 months, and for some businesses it's okay to do 24 months too if you want a bigger sampling of clients. You then sort the clients by revenue, and, and we were touching on this a little bit earlier, that clients show their appreciation for you by spending money with you. I mean, you can you can come out with a brand-new service you want to offer and tell all your friends about it, saying, you know, I'm going to be uh, I'm just doing this new house-cleaning service, and, and we're going to clean the dishes and, and make you dinner all while you're away. What do you think? And your friends will say, I love that. But then when you come back in two weeks later and say, I'm doing it, you know, you're ready to sign up, then it's like, oh, I don't, uh, I'm a little tired of money right now. All the excuses come into place. So I found that the truth, if someone really wants your services, they will pay for it. So your best clients are clients who buy from you and buy from you repeatedly. And on this assessment chart, we need to sort out the clients by revenue because the people that are very top revenue clients from you are showing that they appreciate and love you the most. Now, the second part of the assessment chart is how much do you love them? And this is what I call the cringe factor. When, when you're sitting at your desk and that phone rings and car ID pops up, do you start cringing going, I cannot believe it's this customer? And like, are you praying that as you pick up the phone that, that uh, AT&T will automatically disconnect it for you? If you are, that's a bad client. That's a frowny face on the chart. So sort by revenue, but next to each client now, put a frowny face next to any of the clients that give you the cringe. By the way, this plays into our own natural behavior. If we don't like someone, we naturally will not deliver our best for them. So it's already a mismatch. They may be spending money with you. You don't like them. It's a mismatch. Conversely, there's some other clients that when they call, you're like, oh, my God, I love this client. It's always fun. You know, if there's a mistake I make, they may tell me about it, but they let me fix the mistake. They don't rub my face in it. Those clients get the smiley face. Now, circle any of the clients that are your top 20% clients, meaning they bring in the most revenue, and have a smiley face. Now, imagine the very top billing client who brings the most revenue for you that you like the most. Imagine having five of them or 50 of them or 100 of them. For any business I've met, and I've interviewed, I want to say hundreds if not thousands now, I've I've spoke with so many entrepreneurs about their businesses. Every single business I've met, Marl, and said, if you took your best client that you love and spend a lot of money with you, if you had 10 or 100 of them, what would it be like? Everyone says that would be a game changer for my business. 
I mean, you know, hook, line, sinker, I am in. I, I won. Well, that's the next step in the process. We want to clone these clients. So once you've assessed them, recognize the next step in growing a colossal pumpkin and growing a colossal business is to now replicate these clients, do everything to service and cater to them, people just like them, and ditch the rest. Yeah, and that takes some guts, doesn't it? Takes Yeah, total cojones, as I would say here in New, in New Jersey. Because, because you've been in that trap of, you know, the, the next person that knocks at the door, I'm going to serve them. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of them. It doesn't matter what their needs are. I need the money. Yeah. The problem is that there's, a, there's actually a, uh, a law, like Murphy's Law, out there, and it's called Parkinson's Law. Nothing to do with the, the horrible disease of Parkinson's. But Parkinson's Law is explained like this. Our work will expand into the time made available for it. So at the end of the day, no one has enough time to complete all their work. I can guarantee everyone listening to this call, when they finished up their work today or yesterday, that they still have more to do. That's the, native, that's the nature of Parkinson's Law. Our work expands into it. Well, part of this expansion is new clients. We'll take on any client we can, no matter how bad they are, and they fill up all our time. Right. As you start pursuing cloning your best clients, the problem you're going to face because of Parkinson's Law is you don't have the availability to take on new clients. To the point where I'll be so bold to say you may have had wonderful clients come right past your door, but you were too busy to even answer it. So you're blind to it. You never saw them, and you could never talk to them. They walked right by you. And you're saying to yourself, oh, I can never get good clients. i got to take on anybody. Uh, you know, I just need business. I'm saying by that habit, you're turning your back potentially to some amazing clients. So you need to have the courage to get rid of your worst client. That will open up space. And by the way, when you get rid of your worst client, I found this is the lowest on the chart. They make little money for you, and they're the biggest frowny face. I have found in almost every business I've ever consulted that the worst clients usually take the largest amount of time. Mm-hmm. I found a client that may spend you know, coaching services with you, may they spend 500 bucks for a short session, but they keep coming back. It wasn't good enough. I didn't get what I was expecting. I need more. I need more. I need more. That $500 you spent that you intended to spend, we'll say, two or three hours with a client now costs you 100 hours. You're literally right. making five bucks an hour. You're making, you can make more work at McDonald's, for God's sake. So the key here is to recognize your worst clients are costing you tremendously in time. You fire that client, you free up a huge volume of time, you lose a very disproportionately small amount of revenue, and now you open up all that time to seek out duplicates of your best client. And ironically, your best clients, usually they spend the most money with you and they require the least amount of time comparatively because they appreciate what you do. It runs efficiently. They're not nagging you. That's why they're your best clients. So that's why. Yeah, yeah, it really is a magic formula, isn't it? I think a, a lot of business owners fail to recognize that if they get rid of those worst clients, um, they they will have so much more time on their hands. And uh, what I find, Mike, in, in talking about you know similar formulas with with my clients is that they don't trust themselves then to spend that time seeking out that ideal client. They feel like they're going to get lost in the muck doing all the things that they shouldn't be doing. How do you address that? 
Yeah, so they, they definitely get lost in the muck saying it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So what, what you have to do, and this is actually the next step in the pumpkin plan, is you have to become aware of the uh, thing called frequency. The analogy goes like this, and what I found in pumpkin farmers. The ordinary pumpkin farmer, when they go out and uh, water the field, they do a mass watering. You know, any, pump, any seed that's coming up gets watered. Well, they do this once-a-day once a kind of drenching approach. That's all that they can do. The colossal pumpkin farmer actually waters with less quantity but more frequently. So she'll water the pumpkin maybe 10 times a day, where the ordinary pumpkin farmer – She'll water the fields one time a day in a mass quantity. Well, by doing these smaller, more frequent quantities, the plant, it's actually a, a fruit, believe it or not, the fruit of the pumpkin is, um, is fed so that it's never thirsty. It's always quenched. Well, here's how it parallels the business. When you want to uh, attract the right customers, you must use the technique of frequency. Now, I'll give you an example first of what we've all seen. We watched the Olympics just a few months ago. You know, Michael Phelps dives in the water. He's swimming. He wins the gold. Then they cut the commercial before they give, give the uh, medals out. And the Coke commercial comes on. You've got that polar bear drinking soda, which is a bizarre picture in my mind, but a polar bear drinking soda. <laughs> now, Coke knows Marla's not going to go running out and buy a Coke. Mike's not going to go running out and buy a Coke right now. But they're dripping us with frequency. We see the logo, and they know the next time we go out to the supermarket, if we buy soda, when we go to the soda aisle and you see a liter of Coke and a liter of the generic stuff, even though logically we know it's the exact same concoction of sugar, water, and caramel color, and, and seltzer, it's the exact same combination, we still buy the Coke at a premium. We'll pay more for the Coke. Yeah. Why? Because we trust it. We've seen the logo more. Well, here's the beautiful thing. No one listening in here right now, I assume, has the budget of Coca-Cola. I sure as hell don't. But I do know that frequency, I can apply the technique. Once I've gone through that assessment chart, identified my best customer, I ask that best customer, where do you and people like you hang out? What, is, what, what, is, what meetings do you go to? Where do you go on the web? I then go only where they go. So my one best customer with my first company was a hedge fund. Well, instead of going to the Chamber of Commerce and all these different things, I found out that they only go to two things. There's two conferences a year, one in Laguna Beach, California, one in Greenwich, Connecticut. So guess what? I only went to those two conferences for the rest of the – as long as I had that business, I was always there. For the people that saw me, I achieved frequency. They saw Mike more than they saw the competitors. Therefore, when it came to a buying decision, I was the Coke and they were the generic. That's how you make the conversion. I love it. I love it. You make it all sound so easy, Mike. That's just so wonderful. We're going to go into our final break and our final segment. It's flying by. It's so much fun speaking with you. Make sure and touch base with Mike yourself over on his website at pumpkinplan.com. You'll find some great resources there, and you can, of course, pick up the book on Amazon or in any bookstore. It's well worth the read. I'm really enjoying it and highly recommend it. So this is Marla Tabaka, and you can find me at marlatabaka.com. We'll be back in just a moment.
Unlocking the secrets in you to create a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marlon Tabaka. And we'll be right back after these. Get ready for smart health with your host, Dr. Glenn Mia. Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Smart Health is a one-hour program dedicated to discussions, interviews, and news in the ever-changing world of medicine. Information leads to smart choices, and smart choices lead to a healthier lifestyle. That's the quote of host and broadcast journalist Dr. Glenn Mia, M.D. This magazine-style radio show is a fast-paced program bringing together medical experts, authors, and patients to examine what works and what doesn't in staying healthy. Dr. Glenn Mia is a board-certified physician in pediatrics and internal medicine. His philosophy to wellness starts with an investment. He says proper nutrition, rest, and exercise are the best personal investments to maintaining good health. So join us for Smart Health with Dr. Glenn Mia. Fridays at 2 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. People have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Victor Frankel. The inspiration for the movie, Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host, Mary Similuka. And frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 Central on Toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things, and are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes, then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now, these deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to the Million Dollar Mindset. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it all starts with attitude, and Marla is here to help. It's the Million Dollar Mindset on Toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Marlon Tabaka. And we're here with Mike McCallowitz, author of The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur and the Pumpkin Plan, and Mike's books have been translated into five different languages across the globe, so make sure and pick one up in your language today. Mike, this is being, this is just so much fun, and, uh, you know, we're talking about frequency and, and getting out there and really marketing to your ideal client, creating that niche, but that doesn't mean, and I think a, a lot of entrepreneurs misinterpret this, it doesn't mean you can't have lots of clients, right? I mean, you can still have lots of clients. They just all have to be your ideal client. Correct, correct. So, yeah, some people get confused and say, well, you mean I have to go after one client and be everything to that one client? Right. No. You have to be everything to that one type of client initially. Uh, there's certain common traits you need to serve. And even if you look at some of the big marquee names, and the reason I like to use marquee names is because everyone recognizes them. You know, you go to Walmart, they, they call it the Walmart people. You go in there, there's a certain type of look and style of person that's going to Walmart. And yep. while it's, it's fun to make you know, fun of that to some degree, God bless Walmart. They have very well targeted the clients that they can best serve, and they've stuck with it, and they made the environment ideal for that type of consumer. It's true for McDonald's. There's a certain type of consumer for McDonald's, and there's a certain way we want to be served. 
Um, ironically, like when it comes to professionals, McDonald's knows that professionals generally will use the drive-through. Uh, when it comes to families, families will go inside. So they've actually modified the stores to service those types of needs so that they get the, the one type of customer being served one way, another type of customer being served a second way. McDonald's, at the end of the day, has basically two core customers. They have the professional who's in a rush, and they have family. And, you know, the kids that are like, they want the Happy Meal sandwich. So McDonald's, the big juggernaut McDonald's, has two customers. There's billions of those two types of customers, but they have two customers. Yeah. Yeah, that's critical. And and there are lots of ways you can find out about what your customer wants so that you can really build these systems, get these systems in place so that you can serve those customers. Um, you talk about the wish list in your book. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so so the big thing that so many businesses don't do, and I was afraid to do this myself too, and it, it sounds ridiculous now after the fact, just ask them. Yeah. Asking customers is shocking uh, Oh, how revealing it is. The, the one trick to it, actually there's two tricks to it. Trick one is I like to do it face-to-face. Um, asking over the phone and stuff, while effective, and maybe you, you have to do that if you have an opportunity to meet with people face-to-face, it's much more powerful because you can get facial expressions. There's a lot of truth said through gestures and facial things. Um, the second thing is you can do it in a, a situation where you're showing your appreciation. They're, they're your best customers you want to ask anyway, so take them out for lunch. You know, so have make it a little bit of a celebration. They'll like that. It'll add your value to the customer. Um, mm-hmm. But the second little trick is when it comes to hearing the negative stuff, this is the most important to hear. You know, what are you not doing right that you can fix? Recognize for your client this is uncomfortable because social appropriateness tells us you can't tell someone else what's wrong. You know, if someone has, like, some dirt on their face, you can't say it. You kind of got a hint at it, but you can't really say it because it's socially inappropriate. You may offend them. So when you ask your customer, what are you doing? What am I doing wrong? What can I do better? They'll say, ah, everything's great. They're lying yeah. to you. They're lying to you, <laughs> but it's socially appropriate. So here's the trick. Ask them what your industry does wrong. Make it that third person is not in the room that you gossip about. So you say, hey, listen, I'm, I do computer networks. You've probably used other people in this industry besides myself. What do you think our industry gets wrong? Watch the client now reveal the truth, and that truth is likely about you, and you'll find out what you can do to fix yourself. Oh, very clever, Mike. I like that. I'm going to have to borrow that one from you. Yeah, thank you. My yeah. son, I, I actually work from the home office. My son just came waving. He's like, can my friends come over? Oh, <laughs> that's too not cute. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. I have I have dogs. I have two very large dogs. And, and you know, I'd be on the phone with clients, and at first I'd, I'd just apologize. Oh, my gosh, those dogs are barking. I'm so sorry. And then I thought, wait a minute. You know what? I'm not going to apologize because I'm teaching you how to live your dream, and I'm already doing it. So <laughs> I, I love home office. I have an office office and a home office office, and I, I think I'm at the point now that I'm at my home office four days a week and just love the freedom it offers. You know, my son's friends are coming over. When we're done, I'm going to go with the kids for a bike ride or something. It, it, the freedom it offers us uh, is extraordinary. But you do get some crazy interruptions, too. <laughs> yeah, 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 you do. You do. So you talked about, we were talking about interviewing the clients and asking better questions, and uh, how about advice? Can you get a little advice, please? Advice to people listening to for their business? No, in terms of asking um, 
your clients for advice. Do you ever ask your clients for advice? Oh, yeah, I always ask them for advice. So, okay, I understand what you're saying now. Yeah, when you ask clients for advice, they, they open up to you. It's ironically the gateway into new prospects. So uh, I, I wrote about in the book, um, I, I had a friend that did this to grow a huge business. And what he did was he would find an introduction to a key person, very easy to do, especially using LinkedIn and different kinds of platforms, yeah. of a place he'd want to talk with. Well, then he would contact the person and say, hey, I was introduced to you by so-and-so. Um, um, I have a business that does this. I'm out to simply seek advice on what I should be doing and how I can do it better. Now, doing this method, by the way, you have to have to be genuine. Actually, in all parts of life, you have to be genuine. Hot, duh. But you have to be genuine. He was generally seeking advice, and what he would do then is, because we all, myself especially, love to render advice all the time, yeah. so he, he would get invited in and say, yeah, sure, I'll spend 15 minutes with you and share my advice. Well, what happened in the situations is he would get amazing advice, learn ways to improve his offering, and he got to the point where some customers were so impressed by the improvements he was making under their advice, they would ask him, hey, uh, since you're doing this now, based on my advice, can I buy it? And it converted into them inquiring about buying. So stop calling customers saying, you know, prospects saying, here's what I can do for you, saying, I do stuff like this. What could I do for you? What's your advice? You get invited in every time. That's fun. That's, and that's so true. Everybody likes to be asked, and everybody loves to see their advice being implemented. So true. Yeah. So we're we're in our last few minutes here, Mike. What what uh, what are some important elements here of the pumpkin plan that we may not have covered? What what else do we need to touch on? Yeah. So I have to go hyperspeed. So there there was two other main pieces I wanted to talk about. One is uh, what I call the root system. And here's the interesting part. I found that pumpkin farmers, ordinary pumpkin farmers, look at the superficial stuff to determine the health of a plant, the leaves, the foliage. A colossal pumpkin farmer actually looks at the root system underground. They, they literally get those goggles uh, that the Navy SEALs use to look through buildings and stuff. They uh. buy those things to look underground to see the health of the root. Well, the root system is so critical to the plant. If there's, one, if there's any damage to the root or if an uh, animal like a mole or something eats the root, it kills the entire plant. Yeah. Foliage and stuff, you know, a leaf could fall off, and it has not nearly the same effect or damage. Well, I found typical entrepreneurs are looking at just the superficial things. Uh, generally, when it comes to clients, they look at clients and they see, hey, how many clients are referring me to other clients? They actually go out and seek client referral. What I found, this is probably my most extraordinary find, colossal entrepreneurs don't ask for client referrals. They, they do happen naturally, but they don't ask for them. Instead, they ask for what's called vendor referrals, and they build a thing called a vendor well. And what this is, is if I went to you and I wanted to have you as a client, Marla, uh, or I'm sorry, your client and mine were working together, I wouldn't say, hey, refer me to someone else. I'd say, who are the other vendors you depend upon? Because I want to know who you, else you work with so I can collectively with them serve you even better. It makes sense. It's, it's genuine. Of course you refer me to your other vendors. Well, now... This is where the birds of a feather flock together, the cloning we are talking about earlier, happens. When I meet your other vendors, well, guess what? You're a mutual client of ours, but they probably have other clients just like you. If they're serving you, they're probably serving other clients like you. Now I build a relationship with that vendor, and 
it's a very seamless relationship because we already have a mutual client in Marla. They now, as we build our relationship, can start referring me to other people just like you. And if you're my best client, Marla, now this is the way I can find many of you out there, the clones of you, because I have the vendor well. Very clever, Mike. Yeah, very powerful. When I discovered that, I was like, holy cow. That uh, technique, by the way, that my second business, two, two and a half years, sold to a Fortune 500. You can look it up in the New York Times or Wall Street Journal. You can see how much I sold it for. Lots of money based almost exclusively on mastering this vendor well process. Um, and the third and final thing is weeding and pruning. Ordinary entrepreneurs don't, I'm sorry, ordinary uh, pumpkin farmers don't really even have the time to weed and prune. It's a mass quantity game. Just throw down some pesticide and you're done. The colossal entrepreneur is ruthless. And if, if something is, is growing on the plant like a weed or if a small pumpkin is growing on the vine and it's, it's, it's taken away from the colossal pumpkin, the, the colossal pumpkin farmer doesn't say, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll give you five weeks' notice and we'll have to remove you. No, he, like, he slices it right off. Anything that is taken away from the colossal pumpkin is removed immediately. Well, I found this exact same tendency in colossal entrepreneurs. Or ordinary entrepreneurs, by the way, if there's something new growing, they'll go after it. The, the most common weed for an ordinary entrepreneur, by the way, is labeled as opportunity. Ooh, I have a new opportunity here. Ooh, a new opportunity. And they keep pursuing opportunities, ignoring their colossal potential. The extraordinary colossal entrepreneur says no to opportunities at a ratio of about 10 times more than they ever say yes. They relentlessly protect and kill off anything that's not the colossal pumpkin because it's taking away its nutrients. The ordinary entrepreneur, conversely, is saying yes 10 times more than they say no to opportunities. So it's this, it's this regiment of protecting what's working and building it and excluding any distractions. Wow, fabulous. Yeah, and that is so true. We've got to nurture the colossal opportunity. Mike Michalowicz, this has been absolutely delightful. Thank you for being here with us today. Um, In closing, do you want to just tell our audience where they can find you? Sure, sure. So the, the site to go if you want to learn about the book is The Pumpkin Plan. Uh, the book is at you know Amazon, Barnes Nobles, Airports, your local bookstore. Um, the best deal, quite frankly, is on Amazon. Shh, I'm not supposed to say that, but that's the best price. Um, and then if you want to really dig into some stuff I'm doing, uh, you can get some free stuff. To make your best stab at spelling Mike Michalowicz. I'm the only one out there with that crazy name on Google, and I'll bring you to my personal site, which is MikeMichalowitz.com, and you can get tons of free resources there. Wonderful. Thank you, Mike, and we'll see you all here next week. This is Marla Tabaka. Have a fabulous week ahead. Thank you for being a part of the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka on Toginet. If you've always known there was more out there for you, but you just weren't sure how to get there, and if you've 